Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, friends, it's Eric Hulkerin, and on this episode of Behind the Headlines, we are talking to Riley Murdoch and Steve Murawski, both of whom are covering back-to-school on college campuses. But from what I saw, it was a lot of people, you know, just hanging out on their porches, um, just having having the occasional drink or two. Um, and I saw, you know, almost everybody walking around on campus and around those houses were wearing masks. That, you know, reaction is kind of like a microcosm of how we, at least in America, have been treating the pandemic, right? I mean, at a certain point, we do what we're supposed to be doing in terms of precautions, but then we just kind of get sick of it. And who knows what we do from there. So let's get into it as we continue to unravel the impact of COVID-19 on the state of Michigan. And my co-host, as always, Vice President of Content, John Heiner. John, how are you, my friend? I am doing very well, Eric. It's great to be here again with you. Um, I have spent the summer complaining about summer going by too fast, and here it is, uh, the beginning of September. So um, before you know it, I'll be complaining about winter, but... If it is, means is getting... just just for the listeners though is there a season that you won't complain about because summer's too short winter's too long <laughs> is there a sweet spot in there that you're going to tell us that you love this time yeah it's from like may 16th to june 2nd <laughs> all right all right so we'll mark that we... on the calendars yeah anyways as everybody knows this week was the beginning of school for a lot of people my daughter just started college yesterday um some schools are waiting until after labor day but the colleges especially has been uh, a very uh, fluid, dynamic situation for schools. Uh, a lot of people are looking through the prism of, gosh, we're going to have college football and stuff. But really, these are multi-billion dollar industries uh, and education is more than just sports, obviously. And uh, it affects people all over the country and here in Michigan. And one thing that we have seen is there has been no, there's been no uh, formula for that for this Every school, uh, every school district, every college is dealing with these things differently, uh, sometimes down to the family level. Uh, families have to make independent decisions about you know, sending their kids on campus, uh, learning from home and that sort of thing. But one thing that we've been a constant is that this has been extremely fluid and changing every week. So I thought it'd be a good idea this week with the beginning of school to bring a couple of our reporters on who've been covering the college scene and actually have been on campuses. So this week we bring on a couple of our reporters who've been covering college education. 
um, both the administrative aspects of it and also I've been on campus to see how students are reacting. Steve Morawski, who works for the Ann Arbor News, and Riley Murdoch, who works for the Saginaw News uh, up in the northern part of the state. Uh, good morning, you guys. Welcome to Behind the Headlines. Thanks for having morning. me. One thing, just really quickly, uh, both of you have written stories from campuses. You've been on campuses. Uh, Steve, you were just out on the University of Michigan campus. So let's just start the discussion. Uh, we've seen a lot of pictures of mass gatherings. We've seen it on social media, the videos. What was it actually like to be on campus last weekend? Um, was it what people have been seeing in social media? Was it a different story? Um, I would say that there were some. There were a few pictures on social media circulating of I guess rather large groups in terms of the the mandate in Washington County, which is outdoor groups of 25, I believe. Um, but from what I saw, it was a lot of people, you know, just hanging out on their porches, um, just having having the occasional drink or two. Um, and I saw, you know, almost everybody walking around on campus and around those houses were wearing masks. Um, and social distancing was a little bit different because they were walking in groups and it wasn't exactly, you know, six feet apart and everything like that. But um, but what I saw in terms of the masks and I didn't see any large gatherings or anything like that. So what I saw was, I guess, encouraging from that standpoint. Um, and I think I wrote in, in my article, too, that doesn't mean that those things, you know, those large gatherings or parties didn't happen. Um, it's just not something that that I saw or um, Jake Hamilton, who was there for photographing, um, wasn't something that we saw. So it was um, encouraging and a little bit different than what the uh, the normal Friday night on U of M's campus might be. Um, but it was good to see everybody in masks and, you know, trying to do the right thing while also still trying to have a, some sort of social life. Riley, you've been over to Central Michigan. Um, they had actually an apology from their president of Central um, for their back to school festivities. He was shown playing cornhole with students and then they later had some outbreaks that followed some large parties and so forth. What was the scene uh, from campus over in Mount Pleasant? So for clarification, I actually haven't been on campus at CMU yet, but I have been following the situation very closely. So <clears throat> the initial controversy came when uh, students were initially returning to campus on CMU, where there were a lot of videos on social media, just not only of people seemingly treating their return to college like it would be any other year, you know, hanging out in yards, playing cornhole like the <laughs> university president did on video. Um, his stated goal with going out and talking to students was encouraging them to wear masks and stay distant while they celebrated like college students are definitely going to do in some form or another. But in hindsight, he said he understands why that gave the veneer or the impression that he was condoning a lot of these gatherings and the uh, gathering in greater numbers and with less space than would be recommended during a pandemic. So he, that understandably led to an apology from him specifically. Um, in the days since, I haven't seen many social media videos quite as intense as Welcome Weekend was in terms of the amount of people that were together and the numbers that are coming out of CMU right now, which I believe as of yesterday, there are 160 confirmed cases at least that are tied to students returning to CMU that the health department over there has identified. There are slightly less among the actual campus community, which the university is keeping tabs on. 
But as of the health department is keeping track of 160 people have COVID cases tied to students returning to campus. Most of them, they say are tied to three off-campus houses, two of which were Greek life affiliated houses. And uh, they suspended Greek activities pretty fast after the numbers started coming in. I believe near the first week. We're in the beginning of the third week now since they've been back on campus. Um, numbers during the second week kept increasing though. There was about 53, if I remember correctly, the first week and more than 60 among the campus community that were identified last week. So um, a lot of people, some students I've talked to are nervous about the way those numbers are continuing to go up. But then again, we have a pretty small sample size so far. We don't know mm -hmm. how classes themselves might impact those numbers going forward. Well, one of the things that, you know, I read a lot about that the colleges were doing in trying to make the, the determination whether it's gonna be on-campus learning or not was all the thought and resources that were being put into campus sanitation um, spacing, uh, plexiglass, <laughs> um, giving PPE out to the professors, staggering the shifts and everything. And then, you know, you get to Saturday and one toga party off campus just like blows the whole thing apart, you know? So how realistic is it? Um, I mean, nobody knows all the answers about the spread of this and how, you know, what, it's going to spike in, you know, November or whatever. We, we can't read the future, but how much can a college or university lock everything down and expect because the kids are the wild card you know and how much can you control in that environment so what are the what are the discussions that you're having with administrators uh that that are going to you know be the trigger points for them to make decisions i'm, I'm gonna back up a second uh, msu let kids come back onto campus and you know they had a choice my daughter chose not to she she had made the i thought a pretty good decision beforehand to do online learning this fall. So she never went into the dorms. But like two weeks in, they pulled the plug and sent the kids home. Um, and, and obviously, they had the giant outbreak from the Harper's Bar um, opening in, in, in Lansing. But in your discussions with administrators, every college seemed to take a different approach. But what are the trigger points going to be for, for you know, when they decide to pull the plug or just stick with it? Um, well, I think it's it's one thing where I guess it depends on the college's populations, because um, obviously Michigan State compared to um, some of the smaller schools have a much larger population. And I think, you know, bringing all of those students back to campus, that would just create so much risk around everything. Um, and University of Michigan, obviously, they decided to bring those students back and um, they think they have a good plan for um for mitigating the risk, not eliminating, because you can't eliminate the risk in this kind of situation. But um, they have, they think they're on the right track, and I guess only time will tell. Um, but one thing I know that Albion College is doing is they're using an app to track students' health and kind of where they go. Um, so they have a campus map created within the app, and if a student leaves. Um, that radius or that area they will basically the app will tell the administrators hey uh steve murowski left the left the campus map um and it won't tell them where they went or anything like that it'll just it'll just tell them um they left and they have to request permission to go off campus and things like that so i i think that's one way that some that obviously albion's trying to do that but 
um, that's probably the most unique approach I've heard. And there's, and you know, so many colleges have so many different approaches. I think um, no one knows what will work to really prevent the spread. And I think that's what, what these colleges are trying to figure out. They're trying to work together to figure out how can we, how can we prevent all of this for the future? Um, and even right now as well. Steve, was there any pushback on that app, like big brothers watching sort of thing? Yeah, there was, um, a number of students, there was actually a petition. So, um, students have to use the app to be on campus. And if they don't, um, Albion's president, uh, Matthew Johnson said that they would essentially be taking the semester off. Whoa. Um, wow. So they have to use the app and he, the app has to be open on your phone when you're on campus. I don't know about open necessarily, but it's, it has to be on your phone and you have to be registered for it and all of that. And you have to have access to it essentially. Um, and he made the point of saying that there's no medical records or confidential information on there. It's, um, your name, um, just some, some information so that they can get you like your test results for COVID-19. Um, and also your location, if you happen to leave the campus map, but he, he was very clear to the point that it doesn't tell them where they went or, um, where they're at at all times it'll just tell them that they left um but there was definitely definitely some pushback from mm. students and parents who um essentially said that it kind of infringed on their civil rights that they felt it was um just an invasion of privacy and, and things like that i could see some kids putting the phone on their pillow <laughs> at 10 at night and going out to a party um tuck their phone in and, and, and go out to the party but uh I'm just, maybe I'm just channeling the 21 year old me, what I would have done. <laughs> yeah. But uh, one thing that you've been hearing about in some of these campuses is party patrols um, and some kind of enforcement. Uh, you know, Riley, what are you hearing about enforcement actions that are being taken at uh, universities up in your area? So <clears throat> when it comes to sort of like a, uh... I don't know, students narking on other students thing on CMU. I haven't really heard too many details about like a party patrol, so to speak. But one thing that uh, when we're talking about, um, you know, how one toga party could throw off the entire COVID-19 response at a university. One thing uh, President Davies at CMU has really emphasized in a lot of his communications to the community is that personal responsibility is going to be a huge part of what keeps students on campus or forces them off campus. So at the end of the day, CMU can do whatever it can to contact Trace, to uh, you know, put all these precautions into their classes themselves, make people wear PPE, um, encourage the proper behaviors among a student body as much as possible. But at the end of the day, if students decide to not conduct themselves safely, that does put a wrench in the whole thing that could possibly unrail things a lot. Mm -hmm. So. You know, it really depends on whether or not students are willing to step up and actually do things the way that will keep each other safe. And what about over at University of Michigan, Steve? I mean, they have a, they do have a formal, didn't they? They deputize mm -hmm. a, a, some kind of patrol that is going around campus. Yeah, so they, they partnered with um, Ann Arbor Police and uh, University of Michigan Police to create essentially canvassing teams um, that would go around and if someone's not wearing a mask, they'd say, hey, wear a mask. You have to follow these public health guidelines. Um, 
And U of M's really trying to push education first, as opposed to um, uh, reacting with law enforcement. Um, they want to, you know, they want people to follow the rules and they want people to stay on campus. But if things obviously get blown out of proportion, there's, you know, just some crazy rager party happening at one of the frats. That's something they would likely call law enforcement for, as opposed to trying to educate um, those kids first. But they've really tried to push for education and those canvassing teams, it would consist of some volunteers. Um, and then one, I believe it's a community engagement officer from either Ann Arbor police or um, U of M police. And they sent, they just go around and, um, you know, remind people to, to wear a mask, to social distance, uh, wash your hands, those kinds of things. What is the economic calculus of all this? I mean, I see it, I'm seeing a lot of options and choice being given to students. Um, I'm seeing a lot of colleges trying different things, but they've got to be losing tens of millions of dollars and spending tens of millions more on uh, sanitation and safety equipment and and like the enforcement and follow through and all this. Uh, what are you guys hearing uh, from the administrative point of view about what this is going to do to to upper education? Is this just something they're looking to get through uh, day by day, or is there any kind of long term implications for this? Um, well, I think the there are long term implications just in terms of if you don't have students on campus, you don't get that revenue from from housing and dining and things like that. Um, that's where. Uh, a lot of the private colleges would get their their revenue from is um, is housing and dining and um, just in tuition and um, and all of that alone it wouldn't be enough to cover their losses I don't think mm -hmm. um, but it's every college in the state is likely taking a hit I don't know of any that's you know really going to come out um, better than they were before but um, I guess it's just a matter of, you know, trying to save as much money as they can. I know Michigan, Michigan State, they've kind of um, basically held off on capital capital projects. Um, a lot of those big construction projects, they're not allowing university travel um, unless it's completely necessary and things like that. So just trying to save as much money as they can for for this year and, and future years is um, is the goal. I also sort of get the impression that there's, you know, a lot of future implications for the financial status of universities, but not too much in terms of uh, we won't be able to be on this path for however many years. I think most universities are thinking in the short term because whether it's correct or not, our societal viewpoint right now seems to be that at some point next year we're going to be past this. But one thing that I think is uh, particularly interesting, I haven't had the chance to report deeply on it myself yet, but particularly at my alma mater, MSU, um, International students have always been a huge part of the budgets at these universities. They bring in a lot more money because tuition is higher, the costs of you know moving in and everything. So the pandemic and all the travel restrictions that have came with it, international students I'm sure are just plummeting in terms of actual mm -hmm. enrollment. And that's got to be a huge financial budget crunch for a lot of these places. And I'm sure I haven't spoken to anybody particularly, but I think that somebody is probably really pacing back and forth about how to fix that budget crunch in coming years if they don't come back after the pandemic. You make a really good point there. Uh, really, in-state tuition was subsidized 
for in large part by out of state and international and uh, especially at research institutions like like Michigan and Michigan State was, you're talking billions of dollars but I think everything and everywhere in society is waiting for the vaccine and, and is is trying to feather this out and just make it through we just don't know where through is um, I, my alma mater which is Adrian College is a small school has an interesting business model uh, their business model was based on adding a bunch of programs and sports that were kind of niche that you know, like they you know, lacrosse, they added a marching band, they have a bass fishing team, they're starting e-games. And so really the, the business plan is let's get people who pay 35 or $40,000 a year to, cause they want to keep playing lacrosse or, you know, they want to be on a bass fishing team. And while they're here, they'll get educated and we'll, we'll you know, the student body will grow. And it's been, a, it's been a successful business model, but what COVID caused was they get to this fall and it really challenges that business model because if you can't play sports and they added women's ice hockey, they've had, they have so many sports they've added. If they can't play and the kids are going to be starting making decisions to stay home. So they declared a month or so ago, we're going to play off ball sports. Even the, the conference they're in said, no, uh, we're canceling fall sports. They said, we're playing all sports. We'll find opponents. Don't worry. Send your kids. And, uh, so they have set up a couple football games, I think. At least one is on the schedule, and they're trying to find opponents. Well, they had a big welcome week thing, and, they, and their PR department sent out a lot of photos of all these kids on campus. They're all wearing masks, but they were playing cornhole. They were, you know, they were playing games. They were doing social things. And I thought, wow, you know, um, it's pretty bold. I mean, they're going for it. They were in a really public way. Like we can do this, we can be safe. And they did tout all their safety uh, precautions that they were taking and sanitation and all that. Well, today our reporters are looking to a story that 6% of the student body is tested positive for COVID. Okay, I, I think I actually just filed that story. So oh, I don't know if Steve. it's been published yet, but. Okay, Steve, hey, perfect. Um, <laughs> the editor should know what his people are working on, but Steve, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Because you were nodding your head as I was talking, but. You know, as an alumni, um, and I want to be critical, they make decisions for, for various reasons, but I thought, boy, that's a lot of schools are trying to feel their way through this, and they just kind of went for it. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm actually an Albion College alumni, so we have a little uh, MIAA battle here, um, but... Hey, our COVID uh, numbers are higher. <laughs> All right. I actually, I was, I planned to look into what Albion was doing as well um, in terms of how they're doing COVID numbers, but... Um, I didn't, I didn't know a ton about what Adrian was doing. I'd heard that they've been obviously adding sports and things like that. Um, just that kind of business model you were talking about. Um, but the, the COVID numbers at such a small school, they said that I think it was like 6.2 or 6.3% had tested positive. Um, that's between students and staff. Um, and it might not, sound like a lot but at a small school it could spread pretty quickly especially if you know athletes are going to practice and they're asymptomatic and things like that um so to see that from such a small school it kind of puts into perspective if this is happening at such a you know a school with um 1800 students or something around mm -hmm. there um what would happen at uh, a michigan state or university of michigan with students with 30, 40, even maybe 50,000, depending on, you know, the school. Um, but it was, it was definitely eye-opening and um, 
kind of interesting to write about to see how they would report it because I had to go through a couple different avenues to actually get the email that they sent out to um, students and staff. And um, it was, you know, like I said, the numbers were just a little bit, a little bit eye opening and you don't know how these things spread and you hope students are doing the right things. But at the same time, you kind of question um, the method of bringing students back to campus. Yeah, I shouldn't even speculate, but I can only tell you that having been, you know, on campus a lot there, it is a little bit of a fishbowl. Um, it's going to have, if, even if there's only a couple thousand kids, they're going to be in fairly close quarters, sharing a lot of the same buildings. I think you get to uh, East Lansing and the MSU campus is sprawling and it's spread out. And if, if kids are doing, half of them are, and well, the MSU sent them to their dorms or sent them home to their apartments, um, you know, they're, they're not out and around walking around through the same buildings every single day. So um, it's, it would be just speculation on my part to say how, how 6% of the people tested got it there. Uh, we haven't heard about any major parties there that were busted up or anything, but it's just another kind of, you know, sobering reminder that COVID, it's, you can't predict it and you, you can't see it. And all you deal with is the aftermath when the numbers start popping up. You know, and everything has to be reactive after that. So what do you, you know, you guys doing this reporting every day um, and you're free to speculate, where do you think this goes as we head into fall and winter? Um, you know, it's, I've heard varying reports about this will be worse than, than last winter, or, um, early spring. This will be, um, you know, we'll have a vaccine by the end of the year and all those different things. And it's, it's really hard to say where we'll be at just in terms of the number of cases, what colleges will be look like, um, whether they'll be online or in person. And um, it's tough to say, but personally, I think, I think that colleges would be better off online as a whole. Um, just so, you know, that interaction, you don't know, you can have a better idea of what students are doing as opposed to them going off campus to parties or, um, trying to socialize with their friends as, as much as they can. But, um, yeah, I guess, you know, as long as students are, if they're on campus and they're doing the right things, they're wearing masks, they're social distancing, you know, all that stuff. Um, I think, I think they will be okay as long as, you know, we can kind of, uh, mitigate the, the virus for now. Riley, what do you, what's your prediction for this, how this is going to play out this winter? So along the lines of what you said, John, it's, you know, it's really impossible to predict just what COVID's going to do next. And as a society, I think it's been unprecedented in pretty much every facet of how we're reacting to this is just figuring out as we go along. Um, with education, that's particularly, you know, been an issue recently with school openings and um, you see all the high profile cases across the country of specific schools or there's been huge outbreaks or like I believe uh, is it UNC Chapel Hill the mm -hmm. college that had a huge outbreak recently and had to shut down yep. I'm not sure if like beyond those few very high profile incidents we've seen widespread pandemonium in terms of outbreaks at schools yet but we haven't really fully gotten into school season yet you know it's not Labor Day even or anything in Michigan, though, I'm really curious to see how Michigan's overall education plans and uh, precautions actually do in terms of keeping spread slower or smaller scale than at other states. Uh, when I was looking into the uh, overall precautions for 
you know, K through 12 schools, not colleges specifically, but at least I think, at least I think they're not for colleges as well, but K for 12 precautions that the state has put out with their task force. There's a lot of very thorough, both requirements and recommendations at multiple levels for how to handle going back to classes at different stages of the pandemic. It's very thought out. There's a lot of detail in it. And comparing that to certain other schools I see in other states where I know that photo at that Georgia high school went viral where there's a hallway full of students packed together, no masks. That's not going to happen at a Michigan high school, at least unless they're breaking all of the requ requirements or recommendations. I'm really curious to see how Michigan's precautions and planning, even though it's created so much uncertainty and a lot of uh, individual school districts, individual colleges creating their own plans and sort of being on their own, how that might help out later on. And if Michigan ends up in a better place than other states later on, if there's when everything fully starts to pick up and we have a better picture of what spread looks like in the middle of the school year. Well, from my perspective, the one thing that's predictable in all of this is what COVID will do if human beings you know, don't take precautions. COVID is the most predictable thing. It's going to spread pretty readily through the air and through, you know, through contact with people in close quarters and indoors. We know that. The X factor is human behavior. And now you're talking about 18 to 21 year olds, you know? And so I'll go back to the fall when my daughter had to make, or excuse me, earlier this summer when she had to make her decision about whether she was going to be on campus at MSU or she was going to do online learning. I give her a lot of credit, I thought for an 18 year old's pretty mature decisions, but she said, if I can't have the campus experience, if I can't go to social events, the dining hall, the library, a sports game, because they were going to have to pick their food up and eat it in their dorm room. They were basically going to have to do online learning from their dorm room right. with some occasional class time. So she said, I might as well save money, stay home, be with my dog, you know, see my friends. She has a close circle of friends that she feels comfortable with because they know their each other's whereabouts where they go and they hang around together so you know the, the kids who did go back to these campuses at cmu at michigan chapel hill uh human nature is they want to have that, that experience they want to be social they want to get out and so as i said that's the unpredictable thing and the disease is is very predictable it's it's the behavior that's not and i'm hearing reports now colleges like Ohio State is threatening expulsion for for kids who go to these parties uh, not just like party patrol put your mask on but if they if they are found to have mass parties um, or have your reckless behavior that they could be expelled so you know, I flash forward into the fall and you know Steve is it was encouraging to hear that you were on campus Friday night or uh, this weekend and saw uh, you know, some responsible behavior going on my thing is, as we go into winter and kids start to feel like the only way to do this is basically lockdown. That's not a college experience. You know, are they going to want to continue that to stay on campus and do that? Or are they going to keep breaking the rules? And I, I really, I think over the long haul, human behaviors, especially when younger kids are going to act like, like younger kids. So I think we're going to probably still see some spikes. And ultimately, I think we're going to see some more colleges doing what Michigan State and Chapel Hill did, which is it's just send kids home. But it's all I'm left to do is speculate. But yeah, I mean, in terms of uh, 
what you said about threatening expulsion, CMU has also threatened to suspend or fine students who end up going to large gatherings and violating their rules too. And I feel like, um, yeah, that might have a good hand in preventing so-called super spreader events. Like what we saw at MSU with Harper's reopening led to more than 150, more than that, I think at this point, cases just from one night at a bar, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, they say at a CMU that there haven't been any super spreader events yet, that they haven't had much community spread. But like you said, if people make one huge mistake, it might have some pretty reverberating effects. I wonder if there are going to be a couple more incidents similar to Harper's at colleges throughout the state or throughout the country going forward. Riley, I, th- I think to, to John's point, given the fact that you're dealing with college campuses, how long do we think these kids can stay in lockdown before they, I mean, because everyone on, on this podcast feels this every day. We're locked in our homes, doing these Zoom calls in and out. And you have those moments where you're like, I I have to get out and I have to go see people. I would imagine if you're 18, 19, 20, 21, that that starts to bubble over more and more and more. And you just feel the pull to your point, Riley, of going to a Harper's or, and I I don't want to pick on them, but they're the, the high profile case, going to a bar, going to a super spreading event. And very quickly to hit on your K through 12, one of the interesting things about this state is that all of those schools are seemingly doing something different. And I can only speak for my neighborhood where my kids are online learning. Next door, they're in person. Two doors down, they're online learning. Next door, they're doing day on, day off. And then they're all playing together. Now, fast forward to November, these kids that are going to school on campus in college come home for Thanksgiving. I feel like the same thing happens at that point. That, you know, reaction is kind of like a microcosm of how we, at least in America, have been treating the pandemic, right? Right. I mean, at a certain point, we do what we're supposed to be doing in terms of precautions, but then we just kind of get sick of it. And who knows what we do from there. As somebody who's 23 years old and only barely a year out of college at MSU, I feel what you mean in terms of people's desire to get out and socialize. I'm not a fan of being stuck in my... uh, dining room every day working instead of going into the office and being able to bounce ideas off of my coworkers. I'm kind of ambiverted in that most of the time I'm introverted and enjoy my own time at home, but I really loved being able to be in a social environment for my job. And it felt like it balanced out my personality. That's really thrown off for me right now. And I feel for people who are more social than me and end up in a situation like this, that would probably be feeling like they were locked in a box, so to speak. I don't know. I think you're just asking for it, uh, humans in general, but younger kids on a, on a campus. Um, and I remember my college experience, the social part was more memorable than the, <laughs> the academic part, frankly. And it was the most gratifying part uh, was, was doing things together and exploring things and having fun. And um, it was a big part of, of growing up. And if, if to Eric's point by November, through all of the pounding home the safety restrictions and enforcement and all this you're basically in a cell at school uh one of two things is going to happen the kids are going to want to go home and just do online learning and pay less or they're going to get out and they're going to party and i I don't mean to cast aspersions i just remember what it was like and uh is to eric's point it's hard enough doing this as adults in our homes in our jobs it's a very difficult thing so um one thing i didn't taking away from this call today i'm going to get that app and put it on my reporter's phones. So uh, I know where they are at all times. Yes. And uh, <laughs> actually, I, I'm not that good of a manager. I, I wouldn't want to know. I wouldn't want all that, that data input. I don't know if, I don't know if you'd want to pay for it either. 
<laughs> I can't imagine it's uh, it's cheap for, you know, so many people. But I also feel like Heiner's uh, conspiratorial sensibilities wouldn't allow him to do it in the first place. <laughs> I could not. I, that's too uh, Orwellian, right? I, I really, I just judge you by the stories you post. That's all I want to know. I don't know how. Want to know how you got them? I just want to see them online and see them in our papers. Piggybacking so. on what you were saying earlier about you're just going to hide under your pillow. I had a friend in college whose mother tracked his phone with an app, and that's exactly what he did. He just left it at home half the time, which I'm <laughs> sure has the exact opposite intended effect of what you're trying to do as a parent, whether misguided or not, is keep tabs on somebody and keep them safe. Well, you're just going to leave it at home. You're going to lose track of them anyway. They get murdered out in the street. You're not going to know because they were at home the whole time. As far as you know, well, that's a pretty grim <laughs> conclusion. Yeah. To the they could they could just catch COVID instead of getting murdered. But <laughs> oh my god, yeah. And I dated myself mentioning toga parties. But uh, anyways, guys, it's been great to have you on here today and behind the headlines to to share your perspectives on what's happened in the college. I think it's every week the running theme of this is we don't know what the hell's going to happen <laughs> and everyone's trying to do make the best decisions they can with the information that they have but i uh, appreciate you bringing these insights for our listeners and uh, appreciate the work they're doing out there keeping up keeping everyone informed thanks for having us it's a good time it's a pleasure john thanks thank you guys thanks eric as always it's been a lot of fun and i'll catch you next week you got it my friend And there they go. Thank you to Riley and Steve for joining the program and to John Heiner, as always, for being my co-host. You can do a couple of things for us if you like what we're doing. Take the podcast and put it into a playlist on Spotify so people can find it. If you're listening anywhere else, like and review the podcast. And finally, if you love it that much, share it with someone else who will dig what we're doing. As always, he is John Heiner, Vice President of Content for MLive. I am Eric Hulkerin, Director of Social Media and Content Marketing, and this is Behind the Headlines.